0: Our scripture is Hebrews 11, verses 23 through 28. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of the Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, and a special greeting to all of you on spring break in Hilton Head right now, listening into the podcast. I know it's currently seventy degrees and sunny where you are. Not here. We could use a little bit of that weather here, and I feel like I could use it even right now. I've never been a particularly athletic person. I played baseball for one season in high school. Got hit by a ball because I wasn't paying attention. Played soccer for a couple years in elementary school, scored a goal against my own team. <laughs> played basketball in middle school one season, scored half the points for our team for the entire season. I scored four points. So as an adult, I've mostly just focused on running Netflix marathons. But a, uh, one of our elders who apparently cares as much for my physical health as my spiritual health Uh, convinced me to sign up for the Indianapolis Mini Marathon coming up in a month and a half. I know, I signed up, all right, it's $70, but then it's like I can't waste this money, so I started training, I started running a couple times a week, and I'd say it's about equal parts, this feels pretty good, and why am I doing this? But if I said that, I'd be lying, it's mostly why am I doing this? What possesses a person to go out and just run when they're not being chased, but... I've been faithful to the training schedule, and I've noticed this really curious thing that's never happened to me before. Uh, When you exercise, your muscles get stronger. How cool is that? I mean, they get sore, too, uh, but they get stronger. That's never happened to me before. Practice, apparently, matters to performance, and there's something about repeated little stresses build up into greater strength that can withstand greater stresses. I say all that because faith is a muscle. Our faith is a muscle too, one that needs exercise, one that needs little stresses, one that needs to be worked and reworked, one that needs practice so that when it's really tested, it's there. We've been going through Hebrews chapter 11 during this season of Lent and reading the stories over and over and over again of people who exhibited faith. Not necessarily great faith, but faith in a great God. And over and over again, we've read, by faith, so-and-so did this and then that happened. By faith, this person did this thing and then that happened. And today, we're shifting towards Moses. I mean, Moses' life, you could say, is a series of practices in which his faith gets exercised a little bit at a time so that it's there when he needs it to be, when it's really tested. Now, the author of this letter is writing to a group of people who are facing persecution, struggle, trial, uh, social rejection, their, uh, their money, their stuff, their possessions, their property is being taken away because they have become believers. And he's writing to them saying, you need a faith like Moses. We need a faith like Moses, too. We need the ability to remain faithful to God when faithfulness is difficult. If we don't develop that kind of faith, the kind of faith that Moses had, then how are we going to endure when faithfulness is difficult? How do we stay faithful in faithless times? So as you are swiping or scrolling or searching your way to Hebrews eleven twenty three. Uh, Turn there, we're going to take a look at Moses. Because with Moses, the author of Hebrews is shifting his focus from the future, where he was talking about Abraham, to the present. How do believers function well in a society that is aligned against them? How do believers keep faith when opposition and affliction, trial and temptation, is strong? How do we keep faith when courage is difficult, when the riches of the world are calling, when we're so easily moved by all the concerns around us instead of by God? How do we keep faith? It's a question we need to answer, so let's jump in. We're beginning in verse 23. Verse 23, the author's making a 400-year jump from verse 22. Verse 22 ended with Joseph in Egypt looking forward to the exodus. And now in verse 23, the exodus is here in the person of Moses. Take a look. Verse 23, by faith Moses, or technically by faith Moses' parents, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. They were not afraid of the king's laws. Now, remember the backstory, if you're not familiar with it, Uh, it's important. Joseph, like I said, 400 years, he'd been highly positioned, highly respected in Egypt, but this is now four centuries later, and his influence has faded, and the number of Israelites has grown. They've been fruitful, they've multiplied, they've filled Egypt, and that's a problem for Pharaoh, for the king. So he enslaves the Israelites, he sets taskmasters over them to keep them working so hard that they can't think about putting together a rebellion, but they continue to increase in number, so he decides to do something about their fertility problem. He passes a law requiring that all Hebrew midwives, if, as they're at a delivery, if the child is a boy, they have to kill it. If it's a girl, let her live. And Exodus 1 tells us, but the midwives, the Hebrew midwives, feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. And Pharaoh calls them to account for it, brings them in and says, what's going on here? You're not holding up. You're, n- you're not obeying what I've told you to do. And, and they make an excuse to say, we're sorry, Pharaoh. It's just that Hebrew women are so much stronger than Egyptian women. They've already given birth by the time we get there. They don't need us like your people do. So uh, by the time we get there, there's nothing we can do. Sorry. So he comes back with a stricter law, more comprehensive. Instead of commanding the Hebrew midwives, he commands his own people. If any of you see a Hebrew boy under the age of one or so, an infant, throw it in the Nile. Girls, fine, let them live. Boys, food for the crocodiles, throw them in. And then Exodus 2 begins with the story of Moses. There's a couple living under these circumstances. They give birth to a baby boy. And the mother sees, Exodus says, that her son is a fine child. And she hides him for three months until he's too old and too loud to hide anymore. And then she goes ahead and obeys the law. She throws him in the Nile River. Only she puts him in a basket first that's waterproof and can float. She puts him in the reeds where uh, current won't take him downstream. Now, all of that story is background to what he's talking about in chapter 11, verse 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. They were not afraid of the king's laws. Now, both Exodus and Hebrews take pains to point out that there was something special about this baby. He was a fine child, or he was beautiful. It's not an accident. Anytime in Scripture that we get the physical description of somebody that's on purpose. It, it has something to do with their story. And with this baby boy, it's probably not just that the parents were really proud of their kid. Like, oh, isn't he beautiful? I mean, let's face it, most babies are really homely when they're born. But they looked at this one and said, there's, there's something beautiful about this baby. Something triggered for them a sense that, that God was going to do something with this child. Now, we don't really know what it it means to say that he was a fine child or he was beautiful. And people have thrown out different ideas. Um, John Calvin, the 16th century French reformer, he he said "It's, it's probably not anything to do with the external appearance of the child because, like God, faith looks not on the outward appearance but on the heart. And so he writes, there was some mark of future excellency imprinted on the child which gave promise of something out of the ordinary. Somehow, the parents were able to tell when Moses was born, this is the child that God has chosen to deliver us. And when they saw that, fear of the king's law, obedience to the king's law, went out the window. They were not afraid of the king's edict. They weren't afraid of the king's laws. They weren't afraid of Pharaoh which is remarkable, remember, they are a persecuted, enslaved minority. They're subject to physical abuse, vocational slavery, emotional oppression, economic suppression, and all of your basic human rights violations. So they knew what would happen if they disobeyed the king's law. They knew what could happen if they got caught. But they believed by faith so strongly in the promises of God, especially as they were seeing it come to fruition in their own son, uh, that their faith overrode their fear of the king's laws. By faith, Moses' parents found courage to choose obedience to God rather than obedience to the king. Now, what about us? We know the original readers of Hebrews needed to hear this. They needed a a reminder from Moses' life to find the courage to choose the convictions of their faith in God over an outward conformity to the world around them. But what about us? We'll likely not find ourselves in in a position where we have to choose between the life of a child and obedience to the law, or even in the position that the Uh, the Hebrew readers were in, uh, originally of having their stuff taken away and being socially oppressed uh, for being believers. Our challenges are not that extreme. But it's a mistake to think that courage is only needed in the extreme circumstances. Courage is needed every day, and courage in small things trains our muscles in order to have courage in large things. One person has defined courage as not necessarily the absence of fear, rather the decision to value greater things over lesser things. The decision to value greater things, faith or justice or or another human being, over lesser things like health or reputation or even the loss of life. See, courage is the active choice to face down fear. Because, the thing that is more imp- that because there's a thing that we love that's more important than the thing we're afraid of losing. Okay, courage is the active choice to face down fear because we value something that we can achieve as more important than the thing that we stand or risk to lose, than the thing that we fear losing. Faith gave Moses' parents courage. Because by faith, they saw something of greater value in the baby Moses than in their own comfort, in their own security, in their own lives. They said, this kid is worth dying for. So what about us? How does our faith reorient the things we find valuable and the things we think are a little less valuable? How does our faith remind us to continually see God as most valuable so that we will have the courage to risk everything else in favor of Him. A lot of us are courageous. But maybe not for the right things. Yet a lot of us are willing to stand up and say, no, you can't do that, you can't go there when it's some slight against us, right? It's easy to be courageous about the thing you value most. It's very hard to be courageous for God's sake when he's not the one we value most. Faith leads to courage, but let's continue. There's a second example of faith from the life of Moses, this one of Moses' own doing in verse 24. Verse 24, by faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. And in Exodus 2.11, you know, after baby Moses has been discovered by Pharaoh's daughter in the Nile, after baby Moses has been adopted by Pharaoh's daughter, after baby Moses is all grown up, Exodus 2.11 says, one day... Moses went out to his people and looked on their burdens. One day, Moses went out to his people and he looked on their burdens. Remember, they're slaves. And in the storytelling tradition that the author of Hebrews is is pulling from as he recounts these highlights of faith from Moses' life, that tradition saw in this verse, in Exodus 2.11, an explicit renunciation of the rights and privileges of the palace, They read the phrase, Moses went out to his people, as Moses' definitive decision to renounce the status he enjoyed in Egypt as a member of the royal household. He went out to his people. There was a time, 400 years before this, when, like Joseph, you could be both a prince in Egypt and an Israelite, but that time has passed. Moses cannot be both a prince in Egypt and an Israelite. The two identities are incompatible. He had to make a choice. He couldn't identify himself with both the Egyptians and the Hebrews. So he chose the side of the slave nation, which is completely ridiculous. He chose the side of the slave nation with all the contempt, all the loss of privilege that came with it, he chose that in preference to the substantial advantages and prospects which were his as the potential heir to Pharaoh. And as I was reflecting on this, week, uh, on this this week, I couldn't help but thinking, like, Moses, you could have done a whole lot more for the Jewish people if you just stayed and become Pharaoh, and you would have been a whole lot more comfortable. But there was something about the choice that Moses faced between identifying with his Egyptian heritage and his Israelite ancestry. There was something about that decision. In Moses' reckoning and in his life, he said, I can choose one. And in our world, I think we would choose the convenient one. Or maybe a better way to put it is, we would tend to choose the identity that gets us what we want most, right? So what did Moses choose? He chose the identity that got him most, which we'll see in a moment. Moses's decision was such a faith-filled decision. You can see why the author of Hebrews is highlighting this for his people. They're facing this choice of continuing to identify as a follower of Christ with all of the privation, the starvation, the social repression that comes along with it, or to renounce it, go back to their old identity, whether it was Jew or Greek, go back to their old identity and enjoy a a renewed status within society. See, their old identity was not as a persecuted religious minority. Judaism was looked down on, sure, but uh, once... Christianity had sort of disassociated itself with Judaism, at least in the eyes of the governing authorities, Christianity began to be seen as a rebellious religious sect that needed to be wiped out. It was a threat to social stability, a a snag in the social fabric. So the example of Moses publicly, definitively renouncing his Egyptian heritage and everything that came along with it was a a profoundly identity-shaping story of choosing your people over privilege, of choosing the faith community over future comfort. It's an example that would resonate to his first readers and I think resonates for us, those of us who feel as we enter into our homes, our workplaces, our schools, that who we are as followers of Christ needs to be hidden or at least held back a little bit so that we don't, suffer for it. Moses was faced with a choice, and he chose the identity that got him what he really wanted. Look at verse 26. He, Moses, considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Moses Considered. Considered is, is a pretty fascinating word in this context. It's a word that means to carefully weigh the respective value, to weigh something in the balances, to get out the scales. It's the same word that Paul uses in Philippians 3 when he says, but whatever gain I had, Paul as a, as a high up, as, a, as a, a Jewish rabbi who was on the move, he says, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss. I considered it loss for the sake of Christ. He says, indeed, I count, I consider everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've gladly suffered the loss of all things. Count them all as essentially nothing, something to be thrown away in order to gain Christ. Moses is looking at two futures. He's saying on the one hand, I can stay in the king's palace, enjoy the treasuries of Egypt, have access to the quarters of power, the the pleasure of getting anything and everything that I want whenever I want it, or I can be forsaken, rejected, scorned, and maligned with the people of God. And he says it's a no-brainer. The reproach of Christ is a greater wealth than the treasuries of Egypt. Why? I mean, how does somebody make a decision like that? It, it's, it doesn't make sense to me, but it says he was looking to the reward. You see that phrase at the end of verse 26? He was looking to the reward. It doesn't say he was looking for a reward. When you're looking for a reward, you know, you're trying to earn it. You're trying to do something to earn a reward, to get a, a paycheck for what you've done. And no, he wasn't looking for a reward. He was looking to the reward reward he was looking to something very specific and reward we need to remind ourselves it it doesn't mean that if you're a good boy you'll get a cookie okay reward isn't some sort of cosmic recompense from god for all the bad stuff that you went through while following him as if he motivates us by offering us the divine equivalent of a bonus check when we get to heaven follow me and you'll get all this great stuff See, in Scripture, reward is always its always intrinsic to the activity. The, the reward is always related to the activity. It, it always naturally grows up out of the behavior that's being encouraged. Off and on over the last couple of years, I, I've been trying to um, teach my daughter chess, convince her to, to begin to learn the game, and it's it's going okay. I think we're still in that phase where... If I'm going to get her to the table, I have to bribe her you know, with extra Minecraft time or something like that. And right now, that's, that's not a re- Minecraft is not a reward for playing. It's, it's a bribe because Minecraft is not intrinsic to the game of chess. They're not related to one another in any way. It's not like getting better at chess is going to make her better somehow at Minecraft. That's not the point. But eventually, and I'm taking this on faith, eventually... If we play enough, she'll want to come back to the table for the sake of the game, not for the bribe. Now, at first, it's going to be just coming back for the sake of maybe beating me and winning a game. And then eventually, it'll be coming back to the game because playing the game well, and facing down a difficult opponent, and doing your best, playing well, and learning from the game. Be- that becomes its own reward. You see the point for somebody who puts in hours and hours and hours of, of doing something worth doing, the paycheck isn't the point, the reward of doing it well. I should say, doing it well becomes its own reward. There's something intrinsic when we talk about a reward. It grows up out of the activity itself. So when Moses is facing down the choice between the treasuries of Egypt and the reproach of Christ, he considers the relative value of each of them. He decides, you know, the reproach of Christ is way more valuable than anything I can find in the royal storehouses. Because choosing to identify with God and with the people of God brings with it the intrinsic reward of knowing God. Moses gets to get God, and he says there's, there's nothing greater than that. Even if it's through reproach, even if it's through being maligned and rejected and scorned and forsaken, I still get God, and that is worth so much more than I could find in the treasuries of Egypt or in the fleeting pleasures of sin. Because none of those things are going to last. And when you put them on the scales next to the reward that comes from knowing God, they're nothing. The author of Hebrews is highlighting this example from Moses' life to say to us, to say to his first readers, don't look at the way your life used to be. Before you came to know who Christ is, before you became a follower of Jesus, before you were enlightened, don't look at the way your life used to be and just long for the past. Back then, your reward was all bound up in this life, and it ended when your life ended. It says now you can look forward like Moses to an even greater reward, to a heavenly reward, to to riches that come up out of faith itself. He's saying, I know it's hard, but don't don't be tempted by the king's goods. Don't be tempted by what the world can offer you. As enticing as it is, it's nothing in comparison to the eternally lasting reward that is knowing God all of the riches of this world will evaporate like mist in the sun of the presence of God. So don't be be tempted by all this. Consider. Think it through. Think hard about it. Weigh the two things in the balance. What would you rather have? A bunch of stuff that eventually fades and you can't take with you or the eternal reward of knowing God. Faith gave Moses a perspective, the ability to weigh the value, to compare the value, and to choose to value the reward over riches. Faith gave Moses perspective to see what's really valuable. So what about us? Of course, the original readers of Hebrews needed to understand this, but what about us? The difference between riches and rewards, it's kind of difficult for us, I think, to grasp because for many of us, riches is the reward. We work in order to get paid. We do a chore and then we come in and ask our parents to give us something for it. We expect riches as our reward, but Moses shows that there's another way. Moses shows us it's possible to have everything, to have absolutely everything, and to throw it all away, to give it all up in favor of identifying with Christ. Moses wasn't using God to get something that he valued more. Moses wasn't choosing an identity, choosing a community, choosing a group of people to be with because it got him something he didn't already have. When Moses chose to identify with the people of God, he lost everything he had. He rejected his Egyptian identity and then for 40 years was rejected by his Hebrew identity. Moses gave up everything Because faithfulness to God and the reproach of Christ was worth more than anything he had to give up. So what about us? Are we willing to think hard, to consider, to count everything we have as loss compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus as Lord? Faith gives perspective to value what is truly valuable. Let's keep going. There's a third example of faith. Not so much tied to any one particular incident, but more to the whole trajectory of Moses' life. Look at verse 27. By faith, Moses left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. And over the sum total of Moses' life in Egypt, This verse refers to his upward trajectory, his movement from fear to fearlessness, from fleeing Egypt as a rash young man in fear of Pharaoh's anger, to coming back 40 years later facing down Pharaoh during the plagues, to leading the exodus in triumph, to standing fearlessly before a pursuing army, Moses' life and his leadership moved from rash actions and emotional extremes to a calm and a confident fearlessness. And I'd love to know the key to that. I'd love to know how to stand in the face of anger and not be moved. You know, anger is probably one of the most mobile of all emotions. The person feeling anger is often moved further, faster, and to more extremes than they originally intended. And the person facing down the anger finds themselves moving in ways that they later regret. So how, did, how does Moses face down Pharaoh's anger without giving in to fear, without moving or being moved by it? Well, verse 27, the rest of it gives us, the clue, the key, the hint, I think. By faith, Moses left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king. He endured as seeing him who is invisible. And this is where being a grammar nerd is really helpful. It helps bring some clarity to this. The, the word endured, you may have noticed, um, kind of has a sense of finality. He endured. It's sort of a once for all stand, a, a planting of himself, as it were. He endured, could not be moved because he saw him who is invisible. And seeing there, as it says, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Seeing has that sense of, of, continu- of continuosity, of continuing on, of a continuous thing. I don't know what the right word is, but it happens over and over again. He keeps on seeing the one who is invisible. He keeps looking towards the invisible one. How was Moses so stable? How was he planted in one place, not moved by Pharaoh's anger? Because he kept looking, he kept looking to, he kept seeing the invisible one. That's the key. In between Moses' flight from Egypt and fear... As a young man to his return 40 years later to lead the people out of Exodus, he spent the time in between, essentially wandering in the wilderness in Midian. But he got married, he started a family, Uh, but it was in the wilderness that he met God face to face. Maybe you remember the story of the burning bush. Moses is out shepherding some sheep along. He comes across a bush that's on fire, but it's not being burned up. It just keeps burning. And he gets a little closer to see what's going on, and he hears a voice. And for the first time in his life, Moses understands. He can look back on the last 80 years and see with perspective why God allowed different things to happen, because now he sees how God is going to use him to deliver his people from slavery. And that encounter uh, created in Moses what one commentator called a fixed habit of spiritual perception. The ability to look at this reality and see that what's right in front of me is not all there is. What's right here, what I can see and touch and feel and taste is not ultimate reality. There's something more going on than just what I can see right in front of my eyes. gave Moses the ability to see reality through the lens of who God is and what he's promised to accomplish. But the point that the author of Hebrews is making is not about the extraordinary nature of Moses' experiences. He doesn't even mention the burning bush, the pillar of fire and smoke. He He doesn't mention that here. His point is on the much more common regular, everyday, just like you and me, exercise of faith. So how was Moses able to face down the king's anger and not be moved? Well, it says he endured. He persevered. Because through faith, he continually turned his gaze back to the invisible one. He endured because his his faith gave him the ability to see that the king's anger it's temporary, it's impermanent, it's ephemeral, it's, it's fleeting, it has no more impact than your standard tantrum. But God's grace is permanent and fixed, final, stable. Moses was not moved by the king's anger because by faith Moses found a stability to be moved only by God, not by Pharaoh. So, again, I ask, what about us? We know the original hearers needed to understand this in the life that they were facing. What about us? Well, I think Moses' life reminds us that we are never more stable than the foundation upon which we stand. We are never more stable than the thing that we're standing on. If you stand on shaky ground, it doesn't matter how strong you are and how planted you think you are. If the ground falls away from underneath you, you're not stable. So what are you standing on? What are you basing your life on? You're never going to be more stable than the thing that you're basing your life on. If you stand on your wealth, then what do you have left when your wealth abandons you? How stable will you be? If you're standing on your desirability, your attractiveness, what do you have left when the inevitable aging process catches up and you're no longer outwardly desirable? What is your life built on then? If you stand on your family, what do you have left when your family doesn't turn out the way you want it to? When you don't get married or don't have kids or can't have kids or you have kids and you raise them one way and they end up going a different direction, how stable can you be if you're standing on your family? We could talk about performance at school or work, intelligence or competence, social acceptance, your ability to rise through the ranks at your job, to to collect the things you, you need in order to feel secure, but how stable are you if those are the things that you're ultimately standing on? There's a foundation being offered to us by faith, a foundation that never moves, that never quakes. And when the other things that we look to fall away, it's only so that we can be more deeply rooted in the foundation we're being offered. By faith, Moses found that foundation. He found the stability to be moved by God whenever God said, go and to not give an inch in the face of Pharaoh. What about us? What about us? How does our faith give us courage, perspective, stability? How does our faith give us courage and perspective and stability to remain faithful in faithless times? As we've been reading through Hebrews 11, we've been challenged to look at the lives of faith that these men and women that we're talking about have exhibited. But we've also been challenged every week not not to look just to them, but to look through them, to the one in whom the example had faith. Look through Moses to the one in whom he had faith. Uh, You know, Moses, we're told, could endure because he saw him who is invisible. But we have seen... The invisible made visible. Paul writes in Colossians 1.15 that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, that Jesus is the invisible God made visible. What Moses saw in part, what he glimpsed at a distance, we can see in full. We we can be like Moses and look to God for the strengthening of our faith, but when we look to God, we don't look for promises made, we look to see promises fulfilled, promises kept. You know, Jesus, too, left his palace to throw his lot in with his people. Jesus, too, was rejected by his own. But through his own sacrifice, his own obedience, through his own sacrificial death, he brought his own who rejected him back to him. And he offers the same to us. When we in faith look to Moses and look through Moses to see the one in whom he had faith, when we look to Jesus, the invisible one made visible, we see, we see our Savior, we see God himself giving up everything, which helps us to have the perspective to see what is truly valuable, the courage to give up everything in favor of that one valuable thing. God himself, to privilege the reward of knowing him over all the riches we could get anywhere else. We can have faith, a faith that shows us that obedience to God always outweighs obedience to the king. So have courage. Faith to show us that what people value is not always what is valuable. Have the perspective that sees the valuable for what it is. We have a faith that shows us that the kings of the world cannot move us as long as we are only moved by God. Faith for faithless times. What about you? How is your faith giving you courage, perspective, stability? How is your faith giving you the ability to trade in everything of this world for the surpassing riches, the glory of knowing Christ? as Lord, and knowing God. He's given us a promise. By faith, we can know Him. Let's pray. God, you've given us a promise that we don't deserve, that we can hardly believe, that through faith, in your son who gave himself for us, we can know him. We can find union and communion with you in in this life and even more completely in the next. Help us in this world to have the courage to act on our, our sight of what is truly valuable. To be moved by you and stand firm in the face of everything that does not come from you.